It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Curtis Blaze from Time Bandits Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this. So take it away, Gilroy McFadden. Maybe you should have- <laughs> There's a confusing joke for the audience. Oh, yeah. No one will get <laughs> your that. Your name on the screen is your D&D character. Oh, that's funny. I forgot that that was my D&D character currently because that was my mudding character from the early 90s. And also, if you search that name on the internet, I don't know if I like what will come up. Interesting. Because I was sort of not a a white hat kind of computer guy back in the early 90s. Okay. Interesting things may come up there. It's all in my past. I'm I'm a good guy. He's been to prison many times. (laughs) I avoided prison yeah, I <laughs> is what I, is what I've done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but I was going to say, you know, if, if, if you really, if your memory is getting erased, maybe you need to escape into another memory that's not associated with this podcast. I think I did yesterday. We talked about groundhog day for a really long time. Truth. And I don't remember who I was. <laughs> this one is another one you saw recently for the first time, right? I did. I, well, okay. Sort of a, sort of kind of a loose story. I saw it when it first came out on DVD or whatever. Okay. You know, I wasn't going to go to see it theater to see it. So when it came out as a rental, I'm like, well, you know, Jim Carrey, it was still in that time period where you just rented everything Jim Carrey made because he made good movies and I watched it and I hated it. I retained nothing from it. Interesting. I hated it so much that it was just unwatchable. I just, I wasn't a person that could appreciate this. So came up and you're like, Oh, I'm doing this existential trilogy. Yeah. And I found out, you know, that this movie's one of them. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> and I told my wife, you don't have to watch this one with me. I'm just going to get through it. Mm. And by the time I get to minute 13, which I didn't know that was going to be my minute at the time. By the time I get to thir- minute 13, I was on board. Nice. I love this movie. And when I finished, I'm now under the impression this is almost a perfect movie. Yeah. One of the most perfect movies ever made. This was an incredible experience. Same thing as uh, uh, X Machina. So basically, my first real time having a good enough attitude to appreciate was okay. two weeks ago. But I hated it when it came. Interesting. I hated it. Do you know why? I don't think I appreciated. I don't think I was watching movies back in those days to be challenged. Okay. I think I was watching movies only to be entertained. Especially if you waited for DVD. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not exactly what this movie. No. It's entertaining. No. And it's and it's it definitely leaves you feeling, you know, entertained as you finish it. Right. But it's kind of more of a more of a journey yeah. that you take with yourself as you watch yep. it. You get done watching it and you have questions about yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't do it in a way that cheats. No, no. It almost did. They had some ideas early on for how they were going to do visuals of the memory sequences that would have come off as really cheesy. And I think what they ended up doing with is a lot of like practical transitions between sets that didn't go together and memories that didn't go together. It fit the story better. And it, there's not much like special effects in this movie when there would have been. And also it's one of those things, I don't know, it, it probably just speaks badly of me, but it, along the same lines, as I was watching it when I was younger, I kind of wanted something where I could have a bunch of friends around and we could talk about other things while it was on mm. and still enjoy the movie. Yeah. And this is a kind of sit down and, and focus yeah. and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just let it go in the background. Otherwise you can't really appreciate the story. You'll just be totally lost. Right. And I was, I was totally lost for some time. I saw it. I didn't get that. It started out in present day. Right. I was trying to watch it as a linear movie because I was, you know, just glancing up once in a while. 
And that just doesn't work. Yeah. And then as we're going through the sequence of like his memories being erased, we also occasionally cut back to her in the present, right? which isn't actually the present. It would have been last night in this scene. Right. So there's, there's a convoluted structure time-wise and we need that. I think th- this beginning sequence actually could have been a lot longer. I talked in detail the last couple of weeks about how, especially this scene was cut down a lot and we get some weird edits to it where like the tone kind of switches with the way she's talking with how she looks at him when he's talking and things that don't quite fit together because this scene was a lot longer in the script. Oh yeah. I was just reading the script uh, this morning Yeah, and uh, it's like, Oh wow. This could have really been like just a huge thing. This could have been half a movie. Yeah, This could have been a third of the movie. She had a wonderful monologue. It would have been last week about her goal in life and it's great, but it's also something that this early in the movie, we don't, need or necessarily want from her because we don't know her yet and we don't want to get to know someone by them explaining to us who they are but it was a beautiful little bit of writing well let me ask you let me just break the format right away Mm -hmm. how do you think this movie would have played edited sequentially we start with the fight they hate each other they're getting the memories erased they meet up again at the end would it have played more to the rom-com people would it have been more palatable i think it would have played well to them until it got to the present. Once it got to what is the beginning of the movie, I think they would have been confused because the tone of this in context would have been not as intriguing because we don't know. Here, we don't know what's going on. There's a mystery sort of to it. Yeah, We want to know why things are weird. And if we had no idea what movie this was when we turn it on, at this point, we don't even know what this movie is. It feels like a rom-com that is bizarre in its tone like a dark rom-com yeah if this came later in the movie we'd just be like oh well they're eventually they have to remember obviously like some proto rom-com that was shot in the 70s all gritty and mm-hmm. yeah poor lighting i think <laughs> it needs this structure it needs us to see the awkwardness and then realize there's a reason these people are having problems like her first line in this minute is i'm gonna marry you i know it the scene that we've seen that doesn't make any sense for her to say it. Yeah. They're not having a good time. When he leaves, he's been miserable through this whole scene. But when he leaves, he seems happy. Like, oh, that was nice. I had a great little date. And it doesn't fit. But it's because they're getting a feeling of the moment versus the execution of the moment. And we need that too. We need to feel that it's wrong, but also want them to be together. So I think this structure is necessary. That is one of the things almost 20 years ago, me and today and this week, me think very differently about it. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things that turned me off is all the atonal or the different tones oh, okay. from just even cut to cut. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Well, in this scene, it happens a lot. And it's because chunks of this conversation yeah. have been removed and other parts of the order has been changed. And that is something that was just, it was so distracting that it, it just lost me. And it's not like they filmed each of these shots as like static camera setups where that editing would be okay. This was filmed the entire scene in one go with two cameras. Yeah. And so when they change the editing, you get tonal problems because these are two good actors. Their tone is shifted a little gradually through the scene. And we miss that. The nuance gets lost. Yeah. It fits the rest of the film because the rest of the film is going to be structured on memories that are long gone, combining with the experience in the present. But in this case, it shouldn't be like that yet because we're still in the present. But it does a good job of preparing you for the movie. Yeah. You know, like in a lot of movies, as long as you pay attention for the first 15 minutes, mm-hmm. 
you can go ahead and get on your cell phone and follow, Yep. you know, from then on, you can, you know, especially modern cinema. I, I don't want to be that old man that's shaking his fist at the clouds, but if you watch the first 15 minutes of any Marvel movie, you can pretty much check out and just look up every once in a while and you're good. <laughs> this movie, if you only watch the first 10 minutes, you don't know what the movie is. Yeah. You don't know why it, what's happening. It's a rom-com with awkward people. It's like, maybe you'd be into that and you keep watching. And if you watch the trailer, it was way too happy and energetic because I forget the name of the song they use for the trailer, but it, it's got some joy to it. Well, I have this vague memory of the trailer giving the impression it was some kind of different movie than what it was. Yeah. I liked movies at the time like Pi mm-hmm. and you know other sort of dark, weird, have to pay attention movies, but I didn't go into this movie expecting to have to do that. Right. It was advertised in a different way than it exists. I, I know this probably isn't accurate, but my impression is something like they're playing, you know, walking on sunshine while showing them laughing and hugging and stuff all over a train station somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. The running around sequence, which that just makes it feel exciting. But that moment is horrifying yeah. in the movie. They're running from being erased. Yeah. There's problems also then come from the tone of the re-editing this scene to make it shorter. They're cutting out a lot and problems with the script that don't fit with the structure of what we actually see. And the script here, she calls them nice again. She talks about how she used to think she was repulsively fat. And then she talks about her new boyfriend and how they went to Boston to lie on the Charles River together. And she talks about it like it happened a while ago. In the movie, we'll see it was literally last night. It, was, it happens during his erasure, which was last night, because the movie started with him waking up after his memory was erased. Yeah. So she's talking about something that happened last night as if it was a while ago. But that also fits the tone of the film in a way, because... Memories get overlapped. It, Charles River is probably something she does with boyfriends often. She likes going there. Well, yeah. In the script, it's a boyfriend test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She takes guys there to see if it feels right to be with Right. And with Patrick, it didn't feel right. With Joel, it did. Although she doesn't, they haven't gone there in the present yet to know how it's going to be. Right. In the film, we get a jump to her leaning on his shoulder, which was a different part of the conversation. And she tells him, Joel, you should come up to the Charles with me sometime, which... I was trying to think, I guess Boston's not that far away. Maybe he'd just know what, what she means by that. We don't, I don't know what that means, Well, but she explains. Where are they physically located right now? North of Manhattan. Um, oh, 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 okay. Okay. Got it. I kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the kind of life I lead. If I'm on the North Carolina barrier islands, I think nothing of running up to St. Charles and mm. lying on the ice. I, I live in the middle of Iowa. I think nothing of just getting in my car in the morning watching the sunrise underneath of the St. Louis Arch. So I kind of didn't pay attention to the thing other than that there was snow on the beach. So I figured it was somewhere, somewhere north. Well, the, the beach was out in the far Eastern edge of Long Island. Sure. They had taken a train, the train ride. Actually, we covered this way in minute two. I think it was Dave that brought this up that it would have taken a few hours to get there yeah. and a few hours to get back, which means their conversation on the train would have lasted hours. Just going back to our ex machina thing of the conversations we see in films are inherently shorter than they should be in reality. You know, this is slightly as the movie begins, not knowing how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. She's kind of what? What is that genre of film that's dead now, or that kind of character that's dead? The the manic, manic pixie, pixie dream something, girl. Something. Yeah. She's kind of manic pixie dream girlish when we don't know the history of these two on the train. Yeah, she's that character played as a little more realistic. Yeah. In order to be that person who does her hair like this and will just jump on this guy she just met, even though it's not going well, you know, offers him alcohol and says, drink up, it'll make the seduction less repugnant. Is there's something damaged about her? And literally, 
as we'll learn later in the film, there's brain damage from memories being erased. Well, and man, I hope none of my exes are listening to this right now, but I kind of sought out these, uh, these troubled girls. When well, that's, it has to do with who we are and why we do podcasts about movies. <laughs> Listen to the episodes several weeks ago with my wife as the guest. We were talking about basically how so many couples in like rom-coms and even in this movie is the guy is played like he's autistic and the girl is played like she has ADHD. Yeah. And he's played that way because a lot of the writers and people making these things probably have some of those traits. And she's played that way because that's what you want in your life to make your life interesting. Oh my God. This goes back into a conversation that Jason and I had clear back in the uh, Better Off Dead days mm. about just John Cusack movies yep. and setting up expectations for how men and women are supposed to interact romantically yeah. and how wrong that made us all as we were growing up. Yes. I haven't made one in a little while, but I make like weird mashup videos that I put on YouTube where I put like a scene from one movie played up against another. And I wanted to do the moment where he's outside with the radio over his head and say anything, which is one of my favorite movies. And I love it. Yeah. But I wanted her to wake up and then call the police. <laughs> which is what would really happen. Right. It's like, dude, my ex is outside blasting a radio. Can someone come stop? Our generation grew up with all these things being portrayed as romantic. Mm -hmm. And really, it was stalkerish. Yeah. And it was awful. And you had to spend two or three people in your early 20s learning that that's not. Yeah. And it's even worse, as I often say, and as part of the blog often, in American films. Because we are inherently tuned to this idea that if what you're doing isn't working, the problem is that you haven't put in enough effort yet. Right. And in rom-coms, that means you got to keep chasing after this girl who says no. Eventually, she'll say yes, because she'll see that you put the effort in. But that does, that's not <laughs> how that should be. And so now we have this whole, like, all the people that didn't get the message and that didn't recover from that or figure it out, we've got this whole incel yep, thing happening. Exactly. And just go back to an 80s teen rom romance movie. Every one of them. <laughs> We're setting up all those expectations. <laughs> go back to 16 Candles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I still love it's, them, though. I mean, oh, that's yeah. the thing. It, as long as you understand the time they're from, they can still be very entertaining, but you have to understand the time they're from. Oh, yeah. I've been on this kick lately of watching a bunch of movies that I didn't really, that I was too young for or whatever right. at the time, yeah. or, or didn't care about at the time. You know, like meatballs. I was just watching meatballs the other day. And holy cow, there's a lot of jokes about how much we want to have sex with the 14-year-olds, but it's illegal, so we're not going to. Yes. But we're definitely going to look and enjoy yep. it. Yep. Oh, he says it's it like, outright oh. when he was given the tour. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're too young. They don't have the experience, and we don't want them to get it this summer. All right, this is the 14-year-old girls' cabin. They've got the drive and the equipment, but they don't have the experience. Right. They better not get it from you guys. Not this summer, anyway, huh? <laughs> and okay. and that's what we were that's what we grew up on. Yeah. Bill Murray was our hero. Yeah. As a kid, I movie. saw that yeah. movie so yeah. many times. When I watch it as an adult, I'm like, there is so much in here. I wasn't quite getting what they were saying. And I'm like, it's still funny. I still love it, but oof. It's the 80s. And then John Hughes movies are kind of the same way. Yep. Where you're like, oh my God, these were major hits. Everybody loved these movies. Everybody watched these movies, and nobody had any problems with them. And if they came out today. Holy yeah, cow. you stick a camera between be... Molly Ringwald's legs in Breakfast Club. She's supposed to be 15. And I think right, as an right. actress, I think she was only 16. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's just a pervert that was trying to get his kicks off by sticking a camera, you know, no. any of that stuff. He was making artistic decisions. Yeah, it was the 80s. If it was in the 70s, it would have been even worse. Ugh. But then that program. And so now we've got these incels, mm -hmm. these men that are 
involuntarily celebrate. Nathan, it kind of seems like those movies are to blame a little for that for that kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I did the the last year of my blog was looking at all the movies I watched as a kid way too much and trying to figure out what did they tell me and how did they make me who I am. What did I learn from that? Yeah, yeah like all of those all of those romantic notes you wrote to. Uh, girls in high school mm-hmm. that you now cringe about yeah. is because you thought that's how things are supposed right. to be done based on the movies you saw. Yeah, I don't. <sighs> I still am not sure I know how it's supposed to be done because, <laughs> oh. lucky enough, I found someone who twenty some years ago now that it goes. Yeah, okay. that's basically me too. It was like, oh, I was I was right in the middle of my pursuing screwed up manic pixie girls phase when I met my wife, yeah. who is not any of that. She's actually a therapist yeah. and actually has a lot of those manic pixie girls as clients. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this is so much nice. Back to this, we get a cut here. She tells me she come to the Charles. We actually go backward in the conversation. We don't know it because the edits. This was when she was talking about Patrick and she says it gets frozen this time of year. And he says, that sounds scary. Exactly. And so we're getting a little bit less of Joel because of the cut, not just less of her. Less of her is okay in this moment because the movie ends up being from his perspective. Well, there was a lot less of him anyway. So, yeah. But it gives us a reason to be intrigued. Is like we're wondering why when he goes outside, does he look happy? Because here he looks like he just wants to get off that couch and leave because we haven't seen much conversation. It seems brief. Like he was reluctant to go in. He went in. He wants to leave. But when he leaves and she looks out the window, he's excited and he looks like he's in a good mood, which is why it's going to be a great jarring cut to him weeping in his car in a few minutes. We skip her talking about Patrick to this conversation. She's playing with Joel's hand, talks about packing a picnic. And that's when he said that he should go. He says, sounds good, but I should have go now because he has to get up early, which he did skip work today. So I guess he wants to make it tomorrow. There's a nice little visual thing. Hmm. There's just a lot of unsettling things. Yeah. The way that it's being cut yeah even down to the fact that he's wearing nice clothes but he's unshaved yeah like all of the stuff all of the stuff is just uncomfortable you're feeling his discomfort yep visually audioly everything but yeah he's dressed nice because he was going to go to work and decided at the last minute not to he didn't shave because he woke up as he said in a funk he doesn't know why and now he's with this strange girl who her immediate impulse is to write her phone number on his hand which in movies is done I think if someone run right on my hand, I'd be reluctant. That's just fun. That's just even more of, yeah, I will let this pretty girl touch me and write on mm-hmm. my hand. Of course, before that, we get as he, he gets up to the couch and we smash cut to him already putting on his jacket and he's in the kitchen doorway. And she's, of course, got a pen right there to write on it. You know, she kind of comes off desperate right here. Like she's trying to just hold on to, to me. Watch. No, yeah. Because of the weird editing, how they did that. And that makes it interesting because we don't know why she should be. Like there was a moment last minute where she was like licking her lips. He wasn't saying anything that exciting at the time. And we don't see why she thinks she has a connection with him. But I think in retrospect, she doesn't know why she has a connection with him. She just feels it. And she's more likely to go with her feelings. If it's okay with you, let's connect this out to the larger plot. Yeah. What exactly is happening in their minds right now? Because we're talking about the weird editing, but what's actually going on? Though he, Who remembers what at this Though point? he is the main character, I don't think he has any idea why he's interacting with this woman. In the script, he has actually just gotten together with his ex-girlfriend for a one-night stand just like a couple nights ago. Okay. And now he skipped work for no particular reason. He doesn't know what's going on. I think she has a bigger sense of, she doesn't remember him, but it's like somewhere inside she can feel that he's someone to her like she's supposed to have a connection that's kind of the feeling i got with both of them. yeah the reason he skips work 
is because he has this feeling. Right. The last thing that happened in his head is she said, meet me in Montauk. Right. And probably when she was erasing him, the last thing maybe he said to her is meet me in Montauk. And so they end up on this train together. He's a lot more reserved, yep. not as prone to following his feelings, but she's a feeling. Yeah. Yep. She is totally just wild and will just whatever her heart says she should do. That's what she's going to right. do. And so she's able to follow these impulses more and therefore has a much better positive feeling about him in spite of the way that he's acting towards her. Yes. She's not being discouraged by that. Exactly. She's not discouraged. Although if you asked her, I think she wouldn't be able to explain why. Right. And she got him erased. You know, it was a little while ago. We don't, I don't think they ever established exactly, but he got her erased last night. Yeah. He woke up basically like it was a hangover yep. and he's still in that hangover. So he's not very energetic. He's, but he has been paying attention to her just last minute. There was this great little line I hadn't caught before where she's talking about how, whether he thinks about something about life, I forget the exact thing she was talking about, but he just pauses and says, I think about that. And it's this great little connection where for a second, it's like he sees her too, which maybe is why he feels good. But also he probably feels guilty about skipping work, which is why he's like, I should go. I got to get up early because it might be late at night at this point. I think it is. Yeah. I get the impression. The train ride took hours, both directions. She wants him to call her. Would you do that? I would like it. He says, yes. So she actually writes her phone number on him. And there's a great line that didn't make it in the movie where he tells her, I don't think your personality comes out of a tube. Yeah. I think hair is just a pretty topping. Yeah. Which is nice. That's still nice. Yeah. That's what, that's the exact thought yeah. I had. I was like, oh. It's a nice thing to say. That could have softened this a little bit. That could have been a nice little transition. He keeps trying. When she got mad and walked away from him on the train, there was a line where he throws out another fake hair color idea. And it's like, he keeps trying, even though he's clearly miserable. Yeah. And she keeps trying. And is probably miserable too. She's just really practiced at hiding it. That's the thing about both of these characters is I think they are pretty realistic depictions of just depressed. Yeah. It's not just that it's a rom-com with a twisted meat cue. It's that they're also just depressed people. Yeah. That was kind of another turnoff from 20 years ago. It's sort of a movie about depression in a way. Cause yeah. like depression is like, there's something wrong with me. Like you have a hole inside you or whatever. They literally have something missing. Yeah. She's just a different kind of person. So her personality is to hide that with energy and coming on too strong. He wants to hide. But going back to this, I don't think your personality came out of a can. I think if they just have left that one line in, mm -hmm. it would have made it less jarring when she yells out the window and he's smiling and happy. Yeah. Cause you know that he did enjoy this. Yeah. Like, even if he doesn't, in spite of the fact it. that he's depressed and, and can't enjoy anything, uh -huh. it gives you a clue to his feelings. Yeah, because we get a smash cut instead from her writing to her leaning out the window rather quickly and saying, wish me a happy Valentine's Day. And then like a pause as he looks up and says, when you call, that'd be nice. <laughs> so she's calling back to the whole nice thing, which got repeated in the script even more than it does in the movie. Sure. Music starts as he's walking away, apparently in a good mood or better mood. And the music is collecting things by John Bryan. And I didn't know what to call this, but it feels like the music is playing inside a box far away. I don't know what that sound design is called. Like it doesn't feel like music over the movie. It doesn't feel like ambient sound. It just feels like far away. And the minute ends with him walking away. Kind of walking away happy. Yeah. Big smile. Enthusiastic. Great to take on life. And that might be part of why we either tune out or are intrigued enough to keep watching is we're like, did that go well? <laughs> I'm not sure. She seemed excited. He seems happier. Who's, who's the person that made this movie? This is Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman. I definitely think 
they were jerking the audience around on purpose. Oh, yeah. Just to be artistic. And I, that's probably not a revolutionary thing to say, but I think it rubbed people the wrong way when it came out. And now people are coming around and realizing that's really bad. Well, I, I think like Charlie Kaufman in particular, you know, he had being John Malkovich was the first time people really knew who he was. Yeah. And he had been working for a while on TV shows and whatnot. And being John Malkovich was like eccentric and weird, but it hit at the right time where people wanted to watch it. And then you got adaptation, which I think would have turned off a lot of people because a lot of people just wouldn't. It's similar to this. They just wouldn't get it. And then he does this with Michelle Gondry, who's basically a guy who makes music videos. And uh, I guess it's after this makes Science of Sleep, which is all about dreams and all these weird, surreal visuals. And you combine Charlie Kaufman's need to talk about depression and the dark realities of life with eccentric dreamlike behavior. It's these two characters in one movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Okay. And then I'm on board with that. At this point, we're like, "What is this?" If you if you sat down and watched this movie and don't know what it's about, at this point in the movie, you're probably really perplexed. Like, if you don't know this is about memory erasure and you think it's going to be a rom com, it's not a rom com so far. It it's structured like a rom com, but it's depressing. <laughs> It's a little science fiction. It will be. It's a little science fiction-y. And it's, it's one of those movies where you kind of have to know ahead of time that you just have to push them. Essentially, if you put these three movies in chronological order, it would get slightly more science fiction as you go. But they're all technically science fiction adjacent. Sure. You know, Groundhog Day, Time Loop. What would happen if you had to be stuck in this day? Eternal Sunshine. What would happen if you had your memories erased? Ex Machina. What happens if you have to decide if a robot's human? And how human are you in the process? And if you listen to Austin's minutes several weeks ago, there's some movie coming out about two years from now that's going to be the fourth one of this trilogy that I guess is straight science fiction, but still about male and female relationships and gender roles and all that. And that's the thing I'm talking about. Slowly, uh, Phil K. Dick has been just creeping into our lives yeah. thematically. Everything that he was doing back in the whatever it was, 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. is now just becoming our modern day film narrative. Yep. And our reality. We're finally mature enough to understand what he was trying to say. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that movie, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be great. By that description, it's going to be straight science fiction. It's still going to be about a man and a woman caught in some sort of existential crisis. And I'm, I want to see it. I don't know what it is yet, but I want to see it. And I hope it exists. And I see enough movies. I'm sure I'll find it. That's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. All you have to do is just see every movie ever made. I try. Which was my goal when I was 12. Until I realized how many really just bad movies. Oh, I mean, I watched those too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I still do. Yeah, I just don't like it. Yeah, so the only profound thing I've got to say about this movie mm -hmm. uh, before we leave is that it's the most Philip K. Dickian of them all. Yeah. It, it's the one where if Philip K. Dick tried to write a rom-com, I, I imagine it would turn out like this. And in that case, it would be, we'll remember it for you wholesale, the basis for Total Recall. <laughs> It's about implanting memories. Yep. It's the opposite of this movie, but that's what they do with these memories, obviously. They steal them and they put them in someone else in the future for vacations. So if they want to hear you talk about something maybe less existential or it's no. Not, it's not really less existential. <laughs> no, better better off dead. Oof. Yeah, better off dead. Suicide over relationship. Bandits. Yeah, that's existential. Time bandits is oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Where can they Time bandits this? struggling with yeah. the uh, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Without being by Douglas Adams? Well, just kind of barely not being by Douglas Adams. There's some, true, true. There's some Douglas Adams in there. There's some whimsy um, and all that. 
Better Off Dead Minute and Time Bandits Minute. You know, if you're into the movies by minute thing, that's where you find me there. And listeners, thank you for listening to us for however long this episode ends up being, these three episodes. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. Follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or go to lemmingdrops.com to find links to this and more, or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.